you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And what a day it is to be with God's people, to celebrate the King of kings and Lord of lords, the fact that He died, He was buried, that He rose again. I know many of you are figuring out that I am a broken record. And I say that every week. And I will, I pray, say that until the Lord calls me home because that is the only hope that any sinner has, the hope of Jesus Christ. We're going to look this morning at a message that is entitled A Fearless Proclamation of the Gospel. I'm going to give you a little background into this chapter 6. In verse 10, we see that the Apostle Paul goes into speaking on the armor of God and the importance of clothing ourselves for battle. I'm not going to preach on that this morning because I have preached on it many times in the past. And I pray that you understand it and that you hear it. And we have led small group Bible studies on this. And so this is not a new passage to us, but it will be a new word that we focus on intently today. And that's exactly what we're going to do is we're going to focus on one word in the verses immediately preceding Paul's text on the armor of God here. He gives us that text on the armor of God to remind us of this. That we're in a war. That we're warriors. If you're not sensing in your Christian life that you are a warrior, you really need to examine yourself. You have been called to the good fight of faith. We are to stand. And Paul spends verses 10 all the way to 18. We're going to pick up in 19 today telling us how to fit ourselves for battle. Knowing that we are in this battle, he uses the armor of the Roman soldier, to give us that analogy. What it means for us to be clothed for battle. Any good soldier knows this. You can't go out to battle without your armor. He makes that very clear. And then toward the end of this text, he tells them to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. He says pray for all the believers. Pray on every occasion. And then what we're going to pick up is verse 19 today. And Paul is going to ask for a specific prayer for himself. Uh, not, not the common thing, theme that we see in the life of Paul. Paul was, by all accounts, a selfless man who gave himself for the cause of Christ and for others in presenting the Gospel to them. What we see here in verse 19 where we pick up today and where we're going to look, Paul says this. He says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Fearlessly. He goes on to say, for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it. He says it again. Fearlessly as I should. The Apostle Paul stops here in the middle of this text as he is winding it down before he's going to give some final greetings. Right on the heels of the armor of God, he stops and he says, pray also for me. Pray also for me. And you know what he didn't ask for? He didn't say, pray also for me that I can have a good life or my best life or a fruitful life as the world measures fruitful lives. He didn't say, could I have the best career, the best education? Would you pray for me that I could be blessed with material things? He didn't say, uh, could, could I have prosperity and maybe get out of jail? He wrote these, as we just saw, in chains. 
And they're in that prison cell as he's chained. Here's his prayer request. Not to get out of prison. Not to go on with a normal life. Not to gain earthly treasures. Not to be successful in the world's standards. But he says this. He says, pray. Pray. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the Gospel, which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What a desire. There were so many other things that the Apostle Paul could have prayed. Did you know this? At this point in time, he was probably sick with malaria, many scholars believe. He had been tortured and imprisoned. Here he is in chains, not asking that any of those things be removed. But he says, let me fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the Gospel of Jesus Christ as I should. He understood that his only purpose in this life was to proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ that others would come to faith in Him. And there were obvious reasons that Paul would ask for this prayer. We know that. We know the things that he faced. But I want us to see today that the obvious reasons that Paul would have asked for this prayer are the same reasons that we ought to ask today. For the same prayer, God, let us be people who are fearlessly proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We see as we look at this, the same things and same reasons that Paul would have asked for prayer are going to be the same scriptural reasons that we who are believers in 2021 ought to ask for the prayer to be fearless in our proclamation of the Gospel. They were obvious reasons. And we're going to look this morning at four of those reasons. I want us to really dial in on that word fearless or fearlessly. That is with a boldness. That is unashamedly. That is in the face of whatever adversity or opposition might come your way. The Apostle Paul said, pray for me that I never back down. That I never quit. That I boldly and fearlessly proclaim the Gospel in every situation. And There are the reasons that we are going to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. Number one is this. Number one is, that we should fearlessly proclaim the Gospel just as Paul said is rightfully so. Number one, because there are sinners who are dying. There are sinners who are dying. I know you're human just like me. None of us like to think about death. It's no fun. Because it is the unknown to a certain degree. We can gain some things in Scripture. As believers, we know what's going to happen. We can't even imagine it to its full. But we know this. We're secure in our death because of Jesus Christ. So we don't generally like to talk about death, but Paul here, I promise you, had it on his mind when he said, I want to fearlessly proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ because there are sinners who are dying. Guess what? At a rate of 150,000 people per day. A rate of 150,000 people per day in this world who are dying and stepping, stepping off into eternity and without the Gospel of Jesus Christ, they will step off into eternal judgment and eternal hell. Paul knew the importance of fearlessly proclaiming the Gospel. He understood there are sinners dying and that there should be, and that there is the urgency that ought to motivate us to be fearless in our proclamation of the Gospel. Urgency, what do you mean? I mean this, just as James said. James said, 
You don't even know what will happen tomorrow or what tomorrow holds. What is your life? James tells us what our life is. Just this last week, my gorgeous wife and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. A small vapor of time has passed. We look back and we laugh. Man, we remembered when old people only celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. And James goes on and he says this, what is your life? You're a mist or a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. And so we understand that our life is but a vapor. It appears for a moment and then it vanishes. Paul understood the urgency in the fact that life is just a short window. And there are sinners who are dying in this life at a rate of 150,000 per day. And he understood that if at that rate there must be an urgency. That's why he wanted to be fearless. Oh, if we stop and we think about that for a second, wouldn't that motivate us to be urgent in preaching the Gospel? Wouldn't it motivate us in urgency to share our faith with our loved ones in our homes? It was an urgency because he knew that life is short. There are no guarantees of tomorrow. It's urgent. But then we know this. It was also an understanding of the uncertainty of death. Did you know this? Try as you may. You don't really know when it's going to happen. But it's going to happen. It could be today. It could be 90 years from now. It could be 10 years from now. None of us have the advantage of knowing. It is but a vapor. Therefore, the Gospel should be urgent to every living creature on this earth. It is urgent, but also it's uncertain. Every human here has an appointment with death. It is appointed unto man once to die. And let me just tell you this. Though you know you have an appointment, none of you know when that is. And I know you don't like to think about it. You don't like to talk about it. You want to put it as far as you can in the back of your mind. But let me tell you, you can put it as far as you want to, but it's coming. And Paul understood that he must fearlessly proclaim the Gospel because it is in the Gospel that we truly find eternal life. Where we truly find victory over certain death. He knew there was an uncertainty. He knew there was an urgency because time was short. The brevity of life is real. And then thirdly, he knew that he had to fearlessly preach the Gospel and that we must fearlessly preach the Gospel because there are those who are dying and we have been given an ultimatum. Did you know this? We are, we are commissioned and called. All of you who are believers here today, you were commissioned and called. In fact, filled with the Holy Spirit, endued with power to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. To preach the Gospel. He's given us that ultimatum. In fact, Jesus preached it like this. It doesn't sound like any of the popular sermons that you hear today, but hear the urgency in His voice. He says, but unless you repent in Luke chapter 13, verse 5, you too will all perish. Did you know this? Without Christ, everyone will perish. They will perish for eternity. We will talk on this more later. But there are sinners who are dying. There should be an urgency. Because there is definitely the uncertainty. And we have been given the ultimatum. Repent. Or perish. That's exactly what Jesus said. There are no other options. It is repentance, which leads to eternal life. Or it is to stay in your sin and to perish for all eternity separated from the goodness of God in hell. There was an ultimatum. Acts chapter 10, 
We see that the apostles understood this because they learned it from the Lord. It says in chapter 10, verse 42, He, referencing the Lord, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Why do we fearlessly proclaim the gospel? Because He commanded us to do, just as He commanded the prophets to do, and just just like through the power of the Holy Spirit, He commanded the prophets to do. We are commanded, we have been given an ultimatum to repent to a law, to preach to a lost world, repent or perish. We must deliver this message without fear. Paul tells young Timothy, he's teaching him, the young student coming up under his discipleship, he says this, preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. That's when it's popular or when it's unpopular. When people like it, when people don't like it. When people say they pat you on the back and they say good message. Or when people write you an email and they say how horrible it was that you actually spoke the truth of the Word of God. He says, preach the Word. Fearlessly. We have a duty. We have a calling. Each of you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? There are sinners who are dying. Alistair Begg said this. He said, unless the gospel is preached, it cannot be heard. If it is not heard, it cannot be believed. We need to understand there is an urgency because there is an uncertainty and we've been given an ultimatum and that ultimatum is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, unafraid and unashamed. Paul says that I may fearlessly proclaim the gospel. To shrink away from a fearless proclamation of the gospel so that you don't offend anyone is to forget that sinners are dying at an uncontrollable rate. They're dying at an uncontrollable rate and you, as a believer, have the only message of hope that will save them. Did you catch that? The only message of hope. You could offer them all the money in the world. You could offer them things. You could offer them houses, boats, cars, all the luxury items we could think of. You could offer them all those things. And none of them, none of them would save them eternally. It is only Jesus Christ who saves. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father. But by Him we must fearlessly proclaim the Gospel because sinners are perishing. Think about that next time you're at work in the break room. And there's five or six people around you on a Friday. And on Monday, one's missing. And one's missing because during the weekend, there was that tragic accident that took their life. We know this. It was their appointment with death. There was nothing they could do to slow it down. There was nothing that they could do to stop it. The only thing that could have happened in that moment is you intervene with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only hope that sinners have. Are we fearlessly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do we sit at that same break room table and do we say, you know, if I, if I start talking about Jesus, these people might not like me. It might offend them because they might not believe like I believe. Listen, this is not about you and what you believe. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. This isn't about you at all. This is about the fact that He has called us, just as Paul said, rightfully so. He has called us to fearlessly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because there are sinners who are dying without hope. And we have the hope of Jesus Christ living inside of us in the gospel. Number two, 
Paul desired to preach the gospel fearlessly because there are enemies who are attacking. Oh, isn't that true in our culture today? There are enemies who are attacking. Did you know this? In our society, you can be anything you want to be. You can be born a girl and decide that you want to be a boy. You can be born a boy and decide that you want to be a girl. If you want to be a giraffe, I guess you could be a giraffe. A hippopotamus, I guess that's cool. But here, watch this. In our culture, don't dare desire to be a born-again Christian. Don't dare desire to stand on the Word of God and on faith in Jesus Christ because I promise you then, the enemies will show up immediately. They will show up in the media. They will show up on your social networks. They will show up as fast as you say the name Jesus Christ and proclaim Him as the only way to God the Father. They will show up against not you. Watch what Paul says against the cross. Watch what he dealt with in his time. Philippians chapter 3 says this, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears. I love that. I get so mad at myself sometimes. Half the time I can't even read through a text of Scripture without crying because I see the glorious, awesome might of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, with tears. With tears, I'm writing these things to you. Why? Because many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny, he says, is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Have you noticed that the enemies of the cross have their mind fixed on earthly things, mainly themselves and their own idols that they have created? And they do not want you proclaiming the truth because what the truth does is the truth causes them to see the light in the midst of their darkness. And just as they crucified Jesus because He was light in darkness, they want to crucify you the same because you are light in their dark world and they love their darkness just as you did before you were set free by the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. You must fearlessly proclaim the Gospel because there are enemies who are attacking. Let me just say this about their attacks. Number one, their attacks are ruthless. Their attacks are ruthless. They're going to hit you in any way, from any angle, at any time of day. These enemies will do whatever it takes because they are inspired by our great enemy Satan. They will do whatever it takes to attempt to dilute or to destroy the true Gospel. To dilute or to destroy the true gospel. Oh, don't we see it in our time? I'll just believe this little thing here. Walk this little aisle. Pray this little prayer. Join this little group of people. Sign this card. Oh, you're in the club. Wait, welcome to the club. Can I tell you that's not the gospel at all? The gospel that Jesus preaches is a gospel dying to yourself and turning to God as your only hope in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, trusting in His atoning sacrifice to wash you of your wicked and vile and evil sins. That's the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the only Gospel that saves. And there are enemies who are attacking that. Oh, there are many ways in this world to God, aren't there? Whatever you conjure up in your own depraved mind, that will somehow surely lead you to God. Can I tell you this? That is a deceived mind, and it is depraved because of sin, and that kind of thinking will not lead you toward God. That kind of thinking will lead you completely opposite in the other direction of God, because the only way to God is Christ. Paul said, may I fearlessly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of these enemies who are ruthless. Not only are they ruthless, they're rebellious. He shows us that they're sinners. He says their mind is on earthly things. They're rebellious people, these enemies of the cross. They're the ones who call right wrong and wrong right. 
They're the ones that Isaiah mentioned in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. When he gave a woe inspired by the Lord to warn them, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, who put boy for girl and girl for boy and right for wrong and wrong for right. He's warning us about those enemies of the cross, those enemies of the gospel. He's saying they're rebellious. They're rebellious against God in every way, shape, and form. See them for who they are, identify them, and know that they are enemies of the cross. And that we must preach the gospel in the face of these enemies and not shut down and not shut up and not give up and not lay down. That we must declare in our hearts and in our minds that we are going to preach the gospel with every breath that we have until the Lord calls us home because there are sinners who are dying who need to hear the truth. I know I got loud. I told you this is urgent. If I whispered this to you this morning, you wouldn't hear the urgency. You wouldn't hear God's voice screaming out to you to repent or perish. You wouldn't hear that there are enemies that you need to be warned of who are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ and everything that is godly and in our culture, we see them like we have never seen them before. Definitely not in my lifetime. These enemies are ruthless. They're rebellious. Watch this. They're relentless. They're relentless. I wish Christians would be as relentless as the enemies of the cross are. They are relentless. They are coming at us with everything that they have. And let me just tell you this. This assault on the Gospel will not end until Christ comes to defeat the enemy and to defeat evil once and for all. That ought to be the reason we long for His appearing. That ought to be the reason that we say today, Lord, may it be the day that You return and You set the record straight. Not so that I can live in heaven, but so that Your glory can be seen. So that Your majesty can be recognized. So that they can truly see who the King of kings and Lord of lords really is. It's You. They're relentless. Please understand that in Your fearlessness in proclaiming the Gospel. They're never going to stop coming at you. They're never going to stop persecuting you. They're never going to stop criticizing you. You're not ever going to make friends with them. They are enemies. And until God turns their heart to Him, they will always be enemies of the cross. So count them as such. They are relentless. Therefore, we cannot rest. Let's just be practical this morning. Hasn't the American church rested long enough? Haven't we rested long enough in our padded chairs and our air conditioner buildings, never taking a risk, never going outside the norm, never stepping out of our comfort zone to share the gospel with the lost and the dying? Haven't we been comfortable long enough? Haven't we seen the results of what happens when a gospelless generation comes to pass? You're watching it with your very eyes unfold because the generation before us were cowards. That's right, I said it. They were cowards. They stood in the pulpits and they tickled people's ears and they made people feel good so they would come to church so that they would give their money so that they could have their salaries. I pray to God that He would raise up a group of men who would preach the Gospel fearlessly and not care what happens to them. I'm standing here before you today. Did you know that? You're here today because there were men who fearlessly proclaimed the Gospel and did not care what happened to them. Think about this for a second. The Apostle Paul, as he writes these words, he has no idea that his time would expire soon. That he would literally be beheaded. I'll break that down so that you understand it. That he would have his head chopped completely 
off because he would not stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they told him to shut up, he spoke up. When they told him to sit down, he stood up. He was empowered by the Spirit to preach the Word of God, and he did not stop preaching the Word of God even in the face of death. Now, I was not there. I would like to have been there. But I can imagine, just before they took that sword and chopped the Apostle Paul's head off, they said, we told you to stop preaching this message. I can imagine that one more time. He said this, I was on the road to Damascus, and a light shone from heaven, and it knocked me to my feet, and it blinded me, and it was the Lord Jesus Christ, and He called me out of darkness, and He called me into light, and He saved my soul from hell, and He'll save you too if you'll repent and believe on Him this very hour. I don't know that it happened that way, but I can only imagine by the example that He said that that's the way it happened. And because of His fearlessness, the church was charged. Did you know that they were charged? The Apostle Paul has been beheaded. We must march on. What has happened to onward Christian soldier marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before? What has happened to that in the American church? There are no more soldiers. There's no one fearlessly proclaiming the gospel. Therefore, those around us are dying at a rate of 150,000 people today a day drifting off into an eternal hell. We act as if we don't care. We're wor worried about offending people. We're worried about losing our jobs. We're worried about getting in trouble from our boss. We're worried about things that don't matter. Where is the fearlessness in preaching the Gospel? There are enemies who are attacking. They are relentless. We cannot stop preaching the Gospel. We must boldly proclaim this truth fearlessly until Christ returns. Even if it costs us everything. Even if it costs us everything. Your job. Your income. Your life. What's worth more to you? The soul of the lost being saved or your fat bank account? Your big retirement fund? Your fancy vacations or your cool boats and cars and homes? What's more important to you? Would you lay it all down today for one soul? That's the question that should be asked of all of us today. That is being asked, are you fearlessly proclaiming the gospel in the face of a relentless enemy who wants you to be comfortable and just to enjoy the American church life? Isn't it interesting? The American church has removed the true gospel. The gospel of suffering. The gospel of loss in this earth for greater gain for eternity. You fearlessly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it costs you everything. Again, we stand here today because Jesus did. Because His apostles did. Because the early church fathers and leaders did. Because during the Reformation, God raised up men as they had drifted away from the truth of Scripture. He raised up men who would say, no, sola scriptura, here's what the Bible says. Here's the true gospel. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, through Scripture alone, according to Scripture alone. And He raised up those reformers so that we can stand here today and say that we have received the true gospel of Scripture. Now what we must do, we must fearlessly proclaim this gospel to all of those who are perishing. I know what many say because you know where I stand theologically. Well, Kirk, you believe that all the elect are going to be saved, and you bet I do. But guess what? I don't know who they are. I don't know who they are because I do not have the infinite mind of God. 
I did not foreknow them in eternity past and predestined them to salvation. He did. He has left me with one job to proclaim the gospel fearlessly. And proclaiming the gospel fearlessly, you know what I get to see Him do? Draw men out of darkness and into light according to His will and to His plan. Would you join me in fearlessly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is there a real enemy? Number three, we've seen there are sinners who are dying. There are enemies who are attacking. Number three, nobody likes to talk about this. In fact, R.C. Sproul said about this, he said, modern man is betting his eternal destiny that there is no final judgment. And that is a tragically fatal mistake, he said. Modern man is betting their eternity away that maybe there's just not a judgment and I can just get away with all this stuff. Which brings us to our next point that there is a judgment that is coming. Paul understood this. He knew that the judgment was coming. He didn't know if it would be in his lifetime or the lifetimes of the next generation or the next generation, but he knew this. Every day was a day closer to the judgment of God because he understood that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. It is going to happen in that sequence. We must understand there's nothing that we can do to change that. We can't erase it. We can't manipulate it. We must preach the gospel fearlessly because there is a judgment that is coming. I know this. I'm not popular when I preach on these things. I'm not standing before you today to, to win a popularity contest or to be your best friend. I'm standing before you today to fearlessly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? For the same reason that the Apostle Paul did. The same reason that Jesus did. The same reason that all the other people that we have spoken of who have gone before us did. Because there is a judgment that is coming. Modern man doesn't believe it. Let me just tell you what God's Word says about it. Revelation chapter 20. Oh, I don't like Revelation, they say. It scares me. If Revelation still scares you and it doesn't thrill you, you really need to check your heart. You really need to check your heart because it thrills me. It thrills me because you know why? It shows me where I should be. And then it tells me where I'm going. And I know this, it's only because of the grace of God that my status has changed. Revelation 20, verse 11, it says this, Then I saw a great white throne. Not some wimpy, impotent throne. A great white throne. A sovereign throne. I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from His presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Let me just tell you this, these were books that contained every single one of their sins. For the unbeliever, let me tell you this, God has a strict, specific, detailed record of every sin you have ever committed. He goes on and he says another book was opened, which is the book of life. That's for the believers. For their sin has been blotted out of that first book. Their name is included in the second book, the book of life. He says, if the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, every act, every deed, they were judged for those things. Please understand that, sinner. You will be judged for every evil deed, every evil thought, every evil motive that you have ever had. Let me just tell you this. Had Jesus not intervened with His blood, I would have a large volume in that book that said Kirk Hall and all of His evilness and wickedness and sin and filth. Thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice has blotted out my filth. It is erased. That which was once scarlet is now whiter than snow. He goes on and he says this, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. 
and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Please pay attention to this. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. I want you to see this. This coming judgment will be fierce. There will be an eternal lake of fire. In fact, in Revelation 21, he reiterates this fact again for us. In verse 8, he says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's for all the people who don't want to believe that there is literally a burning lake of fire known as hell, or more properly, Gehenna in the Greek. Understand this. There will be a hell, and the earth will open up, and those whose names are not found in the book of life, those will be judged according to the books of their sin for every deed and every evil word, and they will be cast into the lake of fire accordingly. There is a judgment that is coming. We must fearlessly proclaim the gospel even when the world says, stop talking all that judgment stuff. You know what they say? They say this. We don't want any of that hellfire brimstone stuff. Let me tell you this. Whether you want it or whether you don't, if you don't turn by faith and in repentance toward Jesus Christ, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. The lake of burning sulfur, just as the Scriptures have declared. I cannot make that any nicer for you. That is why I must fearlessly proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why Paul prayed and asked for prayer. Pray that I will fearlessly proclaim the Gospel. Why? Because there is a judgment that is coming. And it is fierce. It's fierce. Can you understand this? The full wrath of God poured out on those for all eternity who are in the lake of fire. Not only is that judgment fierce that we must warn people to flee from, to turn to Jesus Christ, it's fatal. He says this is the second death. It's fatal. Did you know this? <laughs> For all the liberals who want to think this, well, if there is a hell, well, you just go there and you die and then it's over. No, please understand. The second death never, ever ends. It never ends. You will die separated from the goodness of God, only experiencing the wrath of God for all eternity, you will die. Because guess what? You just saw what happens. Even the dead were resurrected to bodies that have been made and reserved for judgment. And those bodies will not perish in hell. They will burn over and over and over and over again. There will never be a ceasing. It will be fatal forever. Death after death after death for all eternity. It will be fierce. It will be fatal. That is why it's called the second death. And then it will be final. Please pay attention to that. There will be no second chances in hell. There will be no second chances after God's final judgment there at that white throne. Let, let me speak to the younger generation for a second so that you can get this. There will be no reset button in Gehenna. There will be no reset button. You don't get to just walk over and say, okay, I want to redo and push the button. Pay attention to me. This is the appointed time. Now is the time of salvation. You must believe in this life and repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Period. And if you don't, there is a judgment that is coming. It is fierce. It is fatal. 
And it is final. There will be no redos. I, I know. Preacher, why do you always talk about the judgment? Because it's coming. Because it's coming. And there's nothing I can do to stop it. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. It is appointed. There is a time where it is going to happen. God in eternity past has already determined it. It is laid out. He has already decided when this will happen. It will be no surprise to Him. No one's going to have to wake Him up and say, God, time to make your judgment. He knows. The only reason that you're still here today is because He has shown you His grace by letting you live this long that you might be saved. Did you hear that? Even the lost man is under the general goodness and the general grace of God, letting them live, letting them breathe, letting them have the life that they have, the family that they have, and the jobs that they have, so that one day, if you do not receive Jesus as your Savior, one day you will be without excuse and you will stand before the judgment throne of God and you will be sentenced to an eternal lake of fire. There will be no argument. You know then and you will know then clearly that is what you had coming. Because it will be revealed to you, the sinner, that you truly are. There's a judgment that is coming. And I would to God that God would raise up men in these last days who fearlessly proclaim the Gospel. I wish that He would raise them up and that others would pray for them that they would continue to fearlessly proclaim the Gospel in the face of all that is coming. All of the attacks of the enemy. To fearlessly proclaim the Gospel. To not neglect to warn people. There is a judgment that is coming. What kind of friend would I be if I knew of a certain judgment but warned no one? What kind of father would I be if I knew of a certain judgment but did not warn my children? What kind of husband would I be if I knew of a certain judgment I did not warn my wife? What kind of pastor would I be if I stood in a pulpit and did not proclaim to the people who God has sovereignly placed under my care that there is a judgment that is coming. And the only way to avoid that judgment is faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He will save you from that judgment. And that brings us to the next reason we must be fearless in proclaiming the Gospel. We've seen three negatives. We must fearlessly proclaim the Gospel because there are sinners who are dying. It's not fun to think about. Rather negative. There are enemies who are attacking. Reality, but definitely not good news. In fact, we don't like enduring the enemy's attack and the suffering that we endure in this life. There's judgment that is coming. Oh, only the sadist would enjoy preaching on judgment and never including what I'm going to include next and that Paul always included. Those three negatives lead us to the greatest positive that the world has ever seen. It leads us to what the Scriptures call the euangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ. Watch as though there are sinners dying at a rate of 150,000 per day. And there are enemies who are attacking. And they are ruthless and rebellious and relentless. And that there is a judgment that is coming and it is fierce and it is fatal and it is final. Watch this. Please don't miss this part. There is a Savior who is calling. There is a Savior who is calling. The Savior is calling, and He's calling sinners. In fact, He's called three this morning in our early service out of darkness and into light. 
And He's calling some of you this morning. I'm not, I'm not talking about uh, the ringing of the phone. I'm not talking about the general gospel presentation that I've already somewhat given you. I'm talking about He's calling you in the deepest place in your inmost being, in your heart. He's calling you to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. A good theologian knows that as the effectual call. Differing from just a general call. The effectual call. He's calling some of you this morning. What is He calling us to? This is the good news. Number one, He's calling us to conversion. To conversion. What does that mean? It's regeneration. Uh, we, we see it called in Scripture the rebirth. The fact that we are truly born again and that we must truly be born again. Just as Jesus declared in John chapter 3, verse 3. Many people don't understand this, but you cannot believe and trust in Jesus Christ until you are first born again. It is not a package deal. Go back and read John chapter 3. He says you must be born of the Spirit. And then when you're born of the Spirit, then he goes on in John 3.16 talking about belief. Because he must open your eyes. He must open your heart. And he must place in you a new desire to follow him and to turn from your sin and to repent and to trust in him alone. John chapter 3, Jesus declared... I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You can't even see that there is a kingdom that is awaiting you until he opens your eyes from the new birth so that you can believe. That is the true conversion. And he is the one who converts. He is the great converter. And it is done by his sovereign will through his sovereign grace in your life. Please understand that. I don't care if you the uh, theologically understand that yet. I'm telling you, that is scripturally how it happens. And I'm telling you for a reason, because conversion is what is going to happen. And he is calling some of you today to conversion. That is that effectual call where you can no longer be who you once were under the power of God's grace. He calls you out of darkness into light. As the gospel is fearlessly proclaimed, here's how it works. The Spirit effectually calls and He regenerates the sinner, giving them the faith to believe and to trust in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. Converting them. Watch this. Are you listening? The good news from sinner to son. From sinner to son. That's the, that's the doctrine of adoption. He adopts us into His family. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. At best, we were sinners. Yet He rebirths us into sons through His mighty power as the Gospel is fearlessly proclaimed. We see that there will be those who receive conversion, converting them from sinner to son. Not only is the Savior calling sinners to conversion, He's calling sinners to cleansing to cleansing. Oh, He's going to show you this morning the filth of your sin, the wretchedness of your soul, the fact that you are separated from Him because of all of the evil in your lives. He is going to show you this morning. As the Gospel is fearlessly proclaimed, He's going to show you that your name is not truly written in the book of life, but you have volumes of books in heaven being kept for you of every evil deed and every evil thought and every evil word, and you will be judged according to those books. But you can be cleansed this morning. You can be cleansed this morning as men turn to Jesus by the faith that they receive when they are regenerated. They are cleansed. Watch this. Through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and are justified. 
justified as forgiven and clean and righteous before a holy God. There's cleansing in Christ. And that cleansing is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And when you are cleansed by faith alone in Jesus Christ, you are justified before a holy God. You know what that means? He declares you as righteous. Not based on anything that you have ever done or not done. He declares you and justifies you as righteous based solely on what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross when He died as a substitution in your place, as an atoning sacrifice to wash you of all of your sin and to make you right in your standing with a holy God. Oh, don't think for a second. Don't think for a second that you will ever be in good standing with a holy God if you are not first justified through the precious blood of Jesus Christ and trusting in that by faith and faith alone. Don't think for a second that you're ever going to be justified before a holy God by going up there and offering Him a list of all the good things that you've done in and of yourself. Can I tell you this? All the good things that you've done in and of yourself, they are works and they do not save. Ephesians tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. And that is a gift of God. It's not of works. Why? So that no man can boast. Those who stand before God will stand before God as the old hymn says. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Hopeless, look to thee for grace. That's how we stand before God. We stand before God cleansed. Not by our own accord, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says this. At one time, we too, I, I could say this at one time, Kirk was foolish. Kirk was disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. It's almost as if he knew me to a T. He goes on and says, And we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he Saved us. He saved us. Oh, we've talked about judgment. We've talked about that. We talked about judgment, but isn't it marvelous that He would show His kindness by lavish, lavishing His grace upon some that they may believe this morning? Watch this. He says there, He says He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, because I didn't do any, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. There's that conversion we talked about a moment ago. The washing of regeneration or rebirth, same thing. And renewal by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? Renewal by the Holy Spirit. He goes on and he says this. We'll talk more about that in a second. Whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by His grace, how were you justified? His grace. How can you be justified this morning, right? Because you already have your list of reasons why God can't save you, and every one of those reasons are good reasons. But here's the thing. They do not trump His grace. His grace is greater than your sin. He says this, that, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. If you didn't catch that in those first verses there, in that short little passage, He told us how awful we were apart from Jesus Christ. He then told us how glorious His rebirth is through His grace and His mercy that He showed us through Jesus Christ. And then He showed us how our position changed. From a rotten sinner to an heir. An heir. You know what that is? That's a cherished 
son. That's not the son who gives his father trouble. That's a son who's been granted an inheritance because his father loves him to that degree. He says you've been become heirs having the hope of eternal life. There's a cleansing. I say this to you fearlessly this morning. Have you been cleansed from your sin? Are you still trying to hide it from God? Can I tell you this? You will not hide it from God. He has already seen it. In fact, He's seen it in eternity past. And if He calls you out of darkness and into light today, He already knows how the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ is going to cleanse you and justify you this morning in His presence. You turn your heart to Him by faith that He gives you and believes. The Savior who's calling. He's calling people to conversion, to cleansing. Let me tell you this. Blessed is He whose sins are forgiven. And He's calling us to the third thing. Change. Change. I want to take you back to Titus chapter 3 where we just were in verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Rebirth and renewal. I'm not real smart, but I'm going to help you here in case you're like me. If you are renewed, all of that old sin is gone. Are you listening to me? If you are renewed in Christ, all of that old sin, is you, you can't be the same and be renewed at the same time. It's impossible. Watch this. If you are reborn, you can't still be in that old life because you can't be at two places at once. If you haven't been reborn, you're still under the curse of sin. You were born because of a human. Two humans came together and they passed sin on to you. And that sin is inherently in you. Here's the thing. In order for that sin to be removed, you must be reborn. Now, if you are reborn, you are in a different place than you were when you were earthly born. Does everybody understand that? I don't see what the confusion is in Christianity other than the fact people want to hold on to their old life and still get to heaven. And can I tell you this? You cannot. That is not the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That is some man-made, American, liberalized, weak, unbiblical Gospel. If you were born again, there will be new life. If you are renewed, everything has become new. We know this. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. All the old, right? Gone. And all things have been made, what? New. So we see here that it is a calling to conversion, to cleansing, and to change. We can't remain the same and be changed. That's impossible, isn't it? I can promise you, we can go to the elementary students upstairs and I can ask them that question. Can you be changed and still remain the same? And they will say, no, Pastor, that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever seen. And I would say, thank you. But I would examine modern evangelical Christianity and say that they don't quite get that concept. But yet a third grader understands it very clearly. That if you are changed, you can't remain the same. That's the good news of the Gospel because when you really, when you really are being called by God, you don't want to be 
the same ever again. He shows you in His effectual calling how wicked and how desperate you truly are. And you cry out to the Lord. Did you know this? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know how they call upon the name of the Lord? God first calls them and shows them that He desires to remove them from the filth of their sin. And their only response by the faith that He has given them is to say, Lord, save me too! Because I'm a wretch. And I'm undone. And I'm separated from Your holiness. And I'm in need of Your conversion and Your cleansing. And the change that only you can bring. And I promise you shortly after that, you'll pray this. Never let me be the same again. And I guarantee you, if He's calling you today, He won't. He will never let you be the same again. And He does this. He places His Holy Spirit inside of you to make sure that it will never happen. You will never be the same again. There's a Savior who's calling to conversion, to cleansing, and to change. My prayer is this. That He would call some of you today. That He would call some of you in the depths of your inmost being. That He would call you by name. That you would hear His voice. That you would be regenerated by the power of His Holy Spirit. That you would be given that gift of grace called faith to believe and to trust that you would be empowered to repent and to turn from your sin. That you would be counted now among the sons of God. The heirs and the joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Why do we fearlessly proclaim the Gospel? Why must we fearlessly proclaim the Gospel? Why did Paul fearlessly proclaim the Gospel? Why did the early church leaders and the apostles proclaim fearlessly the Gospel? Why did men throughout time and women throughout time lose their lives as martyrs for the Gospel? Because there are sinners who are dying. They're enemies who are attacking. There's judgment that is coming. But oh, glory to God, there is a Savior who is calling. There is a Savior who is calling. He's calling some of you today to conversion, to cleansing, to the change that only Jesus Christ can bring. I'm here today before you, and I want you to know this. Because of the fearlessness of the Apostle Paul, his prayers were answered. Well, I know many of you don't think back that far, but had Paul not fearlessly proclaimed the Gospel of Jesus Christ, I might not be here today fearlessly proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Had Paul shut his mouth, it could have ended with him. But he continued as we've already spoken of, even in the face of death. His head was removed from his body as he spent his Christian life fearlessly proclaiming the gospel so that others would believe. Oh, he had no idea that in 2021, Kirk Hall would be standing in a pulpit with the words that he had written to a church that he loved, inspired by the God who he served. He would be standing here fearlessly proclaiming the gospel that others might believe, that others would come. Oh, that preacher in Porter, Texas that day who walked in that church, who fearlessly proclaimed the Gospel of Jesus Christ, had no idea that that day Kirk Hall would be called out of darkness and into light. That he would be called and washed and cleansed and converted and changed and then commissioned to preach and to proclaim the glorious Gospel. 
fearlessly. I ask this of you, church, as Paul asks the congregation there at Ephesus, would you pray for me that every opportunity that I have to open my mouth, that I would fearlessly proclaim the gospel. And I ask this of you, and I covenant to do the same, I will pray for you as well, that you would fearlessly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you thanking you for the gospel that you have given us. Your gospel, the gospel of God. We know that it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. God, I pray today that by your Spirit, that you would call sinners to faith and repentance this morning. Saving their soul, cleansing them of their sin, saving them from the wrath of God that is to come. We give you glory for who you are and for what you alone can do, and that is to save the most wicked of sinners. Lord, we ask today that if it be according to your grace and your will, that you would save sinners in our midst this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.